we're going to make it. We will have analyzed every player in the first round by the time this week is over on Roto Underworld Radio. We're going to keep our promise to the audience for the first time ever. But I need some help. So I will be bringing on Josh Norris from Roto World to help me talk about a lot of the players that were drafted in the second half of the first round. In particular, defensive players. I need Josh Norris to explain to me the fascination with Jonathan Allen, the fascination with Charles Harris. So in a few minutes, we will be bringing on my favorite draft analyst. I loathe NFL draft coverage, but... I enjoy Josh Norris's analysis, so he is a special talent in that way. He also is able to talk about the prospects from a fantasy football perspective, so that's why I think he is the perfect guest to have on the show. Now, in the previous show, we just focused on the top five guys. I think we got through Mike Williams. We'll certainly talk to Josh Norris about Christian McCaffrey. John Ross is interesting. John Ross was picked in the top 10. I don't think many people saw that coming. Expected him to be drafted in the second half of the first round. With John Ross being a top 10 pick, his stock in Dynasty Leagues necessarily rises. A top 10 pick is a virtual lock to start in week one. And some of you might say, well, John Ross... He was a senior, he's been injured, so he wasn't the precocious producer that we like to see. He's undersized, he's brittle. Focus on the red flags on the John Ross profile. And we've talked about this with Dalvin Cook. You can focus on the negative all day. I like to focus on the positive because we know most of these prospects are going to fail. 50% of first-round prospects fail. Knowing that, why not maximize your upside? Why not focus on the ceiling of these prospects? And John Ross's ceiling is Deshaun Jackson. And I know when you go to playerprofiler.com, his best comparable is Mike Wallace. Yes, if we're looking for the most accurate comparable player, it is Mike Wallace. That's true. A 40-time and then 100th percentile. And even at 5'11", 188, he's so fast. His height-adjusted speed score, 115.3, is in the 95th percentile, and his burst score, 129.4. Not only does he have great long speed, he has great short area burst! Great verticality! Oh my god! It's hard to find a wide receiver with a higher ceiling than John Ross, based on the athleticism, and you might say, well, I know, but he, he just didn't produce at an early age. Well, actually, it was 2014 when John Ross broke out, not 2016. Because in 2014, John Ross scored four touchdowns in six games and was averaging 21.8 yards per reception. And then, inexplicably, the coaching staff switched him from wide receiver to cornerback for the second half of the season. I don't understand why. Washington does not need secondary help. Sidney Jones, Kevin King... Buda Baker, this is not a team that needs defensive backs. I have no idea what possessed Washington coaches to switch John Ross from wide receiver to cornerback in 2014, but it's beside the point. During that truncated season, John Ross accounted for well over 20% of his team's receiving yards and touchdowns, and that officially means he broke out according to playerprofiler.com which also means his breakout age, 18.8, 93rd percentile. If you look across the board, John Ross checks almost as many boxes as Corey Davis. He doesn't check the size box, and we don't have an agility score for him. And other than that, one could argue he is on par with Corey Davis. So I like John Ross not only in Dynasty Leagues, I like him in redraft this year. I like the whole Bengals passing game in redraft especially Andy Dalton. 
mean, Andy Dalton is perpetually underrated. I don't know why. Why football fans and fantasy gamers dislike Andy Dalton? All he does is outperform his ADP expectations every year. He has a top five fantasy season on his resume. He's throwing the ball to A.J. Green, the cheat code. He's also throwing the ball to one of the top tight ends in the league and one of the top satellite backs in Giovanni Bernard. So he has that triumvirate. A.J. Green, Tyler Eifert, Giovanni Bernard. And now you add John Ross, the fastest man in the NFL stretching the field? <laughs> John Ross not only has straight line speed, he also has burst and ball skills. So now all those other receivers have more room underneath to work, including Tyler Boyd. Now Tyler Boyd plays the slot. That's his natural position. On a different team, Tyler Boyd could be a volume slot receiver. On this team, he's too far down the target totem pole. But this could be a prolific offense, not just because Andy Dalton's more efficient than anyone believes, except me and Evan Silva, apparently. But you could argue the Cincinnati Bengals have the best passing game weapons in the NFL and will have a lackluster running game because their offensive line continues to deteriorate and they continue to let their quality linemen go in free agency and they're not backfilling them with quality draft picks. The Cincinnati Bengals could easily have a bottom five run-blocking offensive line this year. And what does that mean? That means they have to build the offense around Andy Dalton. The Cincinnati Bengals offense could look a lot more like the Green Bay Packers offense than anyone is ready for. We're not ready for this, guys. We're just not ready to see Andy Dalton play the part of Aaron Rodgers in a pass-first Cincinnati Bengals offense. So you need to draft A.J. Green. You need to draft Andy Dalton. You need to draft Giovanni Bernard. You need to draft Tyler Eifert. You need to draft Tyler Boyd. And assuming he's not overdrafted, I'm not sure with these rookies, their redraft ADP gets to a crazy place sometimes, but assuming John Ross's ADP does not go to a crazy place, think about drafting John Ross as well in fantasy football. Now, right after John Ross went off the board, Patrick Mahomes was drafted in the top 10 by the Chiefs. Now, I would never ever recommend a team trade up to draft a quarterback with the 10th pick. It is a low probability play. However, if you're going to take shots on players, because all these players are shots, they're all 50-50 shots, maximize your upside. We haven't seen a player with Patrick Mahomes ceiling since Jameis Winston. Patrick Mahomes certainly has more potential at the NFL level than Mitchell Trubisky. Mitchell Trubisky has a late breakout age, Nice athleticism, average arm strength, below average wonderlick, below average size. He doesn't even look the part. Mitchell Trubisky looks the part of a 1950s starting quarterback in the NFL, 6'2", 222, with that chiseled jawline. Mitchell Trubisky looks like the starting quarterback for the Baltimore Colts, not the Indianapolis Colts. The modern NFL quarterback looks a lot more like Patrick Mahomes. Patrick Mahomes has a chance to be a top five quarterback in the league. Mitchell Trubisky will never be that unless he's surrounded by Andy Dalton level weaponry. That's a long shot on the Bears. Patrick Mahomes, unlike Mitchell Trubisky, broke out at a very young age, 19.0, because when he arrived in Texas Tech, he banished Davis Webb to the West Coast. He said, hey, Davis, pack your stuff. You're out. It's my job. And when you listen to Patrick Mahomes be interviewed, it's clear that he is a football lifer. All Patrick Mahomes is going to do during his time in Kansas City is just think about football and play football. When he's not playing football, he'll be thinking about playing football. So he has the mental wiring to translate exceptional gifts, 60 miles per hour throw velocity on his arm. 
1096, 94th percentile agility in the pocket. He has the physical tools to be great. And I think he has the disposition to make it happen. We could argue he's already made it happen. He made it happen at Texas Tech. 84.3 college QBR, 87th percentile, 8.5 college yards per attempt. That's just as efficient as Mitchell Trubisky, but Patrick Mahomes significantly more prolific. Over 5,000 yards in his final season. Every year, the yardage goes up. The touchdown to interception ratio improves. The completion percentage improves. The yards per attempt improves. So he is already developing in a positive way. The trajectory is pointing up and out into the stratosphere for Patrick Mahomes. And now he lands on Kansas City where he won't be pressured to play in week one. But I think he will play this year because the Kansas City Chiefs are ready to win now. They have the defense to win a Super Bowl. They just need a quarterback because they can't win a Super Bowl with Alex Smith at quarterback. It's impossible. It's not going to happen. They know that. That's why they traded up for Patrick Mahomes. So they're ready to win and ready to win now. I think that Patrick Mahomes will be the starting quarterback for the Chiefs in the second half of the season. He has nothing left to prove. He had six games with 400 or more yards last season. Against Oklahoma, he threw for 734 yards, five passing touchdowns, 85 rushing yards, and two rushing touchdowns. Seven touchdowns and 700 yards. What else do you want from your quarterback other than that? Oh, but his footwork. Oh, his, his footwork is awful. His footwork is just terrible. Okay, maybe, maybe. But I don't dismiss players based on aesthetics. We talk about this so many times, this dismissal of players because you don't like how they throw the ball or you don't like how they run the ball. Too upright, off balance. Yeah, well, Brett Favre threw every throw off platform. Go watch Aaron Rodgers. What percentage of Aaron Rodgers' throws does he throw from a wide base? You tell me. Go watch him. Very few. No one can watch Patrick Mahomes play and pin him to a range of outcomes with any degree of certainty because we've never seen a player like him. It's a unique position in sports, and he is a unique prospect in the history of the position, which is the most unique position in all of sports. So why are you focusing on the quote-unquote flaws with Patrick Mahomes where you can't even be sure they're actually flaws? He just doesn't look like the prototypical quarterback to you. His posture, his arm angle, his style is unique. But he produces, and he produces efficiently. In the face of huge volume, he threw 10 or less interceptions last year. And he is the best scrambler in this class. He is a mobile quarterback with the best throwing arm in the history of the league who was both prolific and efficient last season. I mean, what am I missing? We're going to ask Josh Norris what I'm missing, because I don't know what I'm missing. I'm missing something. That's why the Patrick Mahomes pick by the Kansas City Chiefs was one of the rare, justifiable, mid-first-round quarterback selections, and beyond that, mid-first-rounder where you trade up to get him. Now, on the defensive side of the ball, the guy with the highest upside could be Hassan Reddick. It's very difficult to project Hassan Reddick at the next level because he'll have to switch positions. This is interesting to me. You see these defensive players that were deployed out of position in college because they were playing against lower levels of competition. At Temple, the coaches just couldn't resist playing Hassan Reddick at edge and asking him to terrorize quarterbacks, which he did. 22.5 tackles for a loss was number three in the nation 
and the best in this entire draft class. Yes, no one had more tackles for losses last year than Hassan Reddick. Now, what happens when you move him to weak side linebacker or outside linebacker in the NFL and he's no longer playing on the line? You give him the flexibility to roam and make plays. But we didn't see him do that in college, so we have to use our imagination and chase the upside. That's what I recommend NFL teams do. Because Hassan Reddick captures the imagination at six foot two thirty-seven. He runs a four-five-two. So he has a 112.0 speed score, and he has a 128.6 93rd percentile burst score and above average agility. <laughs> what? He looks a lot like Levante David at the next level. So that was an incredible pick by the Arizona Cardinals. I think the Arizona Cardinals were going to draft a high-ceiling player regardless. On offense, they were going to draft Patrick Mahomes if he was there, I'm convinced. The highest-ceiling offensive prospect in this class. When he was drafted by the Chiefs, they said, okay, we'll just take Hassan Reddick, one of the highest-ceiling defensive players in this draft. I think Hassan Reddick is going to be one of these seek-and-destroy weak-side linebackers that is allowed to roam and blow up plays. Because clearly, based on his numbers at Temple, he has incredible instincts. The highest upside cornerback wasn't even drafted in the first round, Kevin King. We'll ask Josh Norris what he thinks about Kevin King, because Kevin King is the best size-adjusted athlete in the history of the position. No cornerback has ever been as fast, as explosive, and as agile at 6'3 as Kevin King, and yet was not drafted in the first round. Why? Because the NFL's player evaluation process is largely broken. The average team doesn't know what to look for. That's why. Some teams do. Tennessee Titans do because they took another cornerback that also is a high ceiling guy, but he doesn't look anything like Kevin King. It's Adore Jackson. I know what you're thinking. Adore Jackson? He's 5'10", 186. Yeah, I know. So is Chris Harris. NFL teams ran more three wide receiver sets than ever before last year, and the trend is destined to continue. You need great slot corner play to win in the NFL. Adore Jackson could be the best slot corner in the NFL. Runs a 4-4-2. Won the Jim Thorpe Award, best defensive back in college football. And look at that agility. What do we love with our slot wide receivers? Great agility. Adore Jackson, 1072, 90th percentile agility score. And despite being 5'10", has a 10-10, 68th percentile catch radius. And he's young, only 21 years old. We talked about Tyler Boyd earlier. We like Tyler Boyd at Pittsburgh because he was a special teams whiz. Adore Jackson, also a special teams ace. So you get a special teams ace, and you instantly get one of the best slot corners in the NFL in Adore Jackson. It's clear the Tennessee Titans have figured out how to scout players properly. They're one of the handful of teams that are doing it. And the talent profile of their roster is necessarily improving incrementally every year. And it's only a matter of time before they're making the playoffs and they're making deep runs in the playoffs. The Tennessee Titans are coming. The Titans are a year or two ahead of the Cleveland Browns, who are also coming. We talked earlier about Hassan Reddick. It's interesting that Hassan Reddick profiles close to Levante David. And the Titans have a running back named Derrick Henry, who doesn't have a comparable in the player profiler database at the running back position, which is why we had to compare Derrick Henry to Zangief from Street Fighter. However, we did find a very close comparable for Derrick Henry in the database, just not at the running back position. His name is Hassan Reddick. 
Hassan Reddick is a close comparable to Derrick Henry. Hassan Reddick is the Derrick Henry of linebackers. Tell me you wouldn't want the Derrick Henry of linebackers roaming around the middle of the field for your defense. I would if I were an NFL general manager. And because I often think about being an NFL general manager, I play Dynasty League football on Reality Sports Online. Go to Reality Sports Online right now and set up a Dynasty League. I know many of you want to start Dynasty Leagues. Where's the startups? How can I get in a startup? Fantasy Mansion, get me in a Dynasty League. Well, if you want to be in a Dynasty League or any listener leagues, go to patreon.com, search Podfather, and join the community, and you can be a part of a Roto Underworld Listener League in the future. But you don't have to wait for me to set up another league on Reality Sports Online. You can migrate your current Dynasty League to Reality Sports Online now because Reality Sports Online mimics the experience of being a real NFL general manager. They support 32-team leagues or 12-team leagues. They have salary cap functionality, multi-team trades, and an innovative free agent auction room which enlivens the free agent signing process throughout the season because you're not only signing free agents, you're bidding against your competitors, and then you have to decide what kind of contract you want to sign the player to. And the beauty of Reality Sports Online is they bring this level of sophistication without creating a complex user experience for the players or the commissioners. So it's sophistication without the complexity. So you need to go to Reality Sports Online now, join an existing league or start a new league, and use the promo code UNDERWORLD when you do. Now, we need to go talk to John Norris. MTV's John Norris. <laughs> Josh Norris from Roto World is joining the Roto Underworld program right now. Go follow him at Josh Norris on Twitter. Welcome to the Roto Underworld radio program. Roto World's Josh Norris. He's the draft expert. He's the man. He's my favorite draft expert. Of anyone that specializes in analyzing the NFL draft, Josh Norris is my favorite, and I am honored to have him on the show. Josh Norris, talk to me. Uh, I'm my favorite as well, so we line up. We already agree on one point, so that's great. <laughs> well, that's a great point that you just <laughs> made because I must amend what I just said. You're my second favorite. My favorite wow. draft analyst is Matt Kelly. So my that's second, that's a great point. My second favorite is Josh Norris. We got to jump right into this. We're off. What was your favorite draft day maneuver or pick based on upside and value? Taewon Taylor in round three. And I can't start this podcast without talking about Taewon Taylor. Man. Of course. Like this is a Taewon Taylor account. Hopefully we can make this into a Taewon Taylor podcast. Oh, I love it. Oh, I love Taewon Taylor. And in and, and terms of a general manager understanding where his quarterback succeeds and understanding that adding a pass catcher is the number one goal of the offseason for the Tennessee Titans and not really seeing one out there in free agency that fit their their specialty. Um, I'm sure we'll get to Corey Davis at five, but then going back in round three and adding a Taewon Taylor type to line up again with with Marcus Mariota's strengths is is perfect. I actually have compared Taewon to Kendall Wright coming out of Baylor, and I love Kendall Wright, and I know he didn't hit his stride in the NFL, but in terms of someone who creates separation, sustains it, wins after the catch – is an uber athlete and we even try to go up and get the ball at the catch point um, despite being under six feet tall and I, I just think the way that they can use him either on the outside or the inside 
is lining up perfectly. And I think a situation could not be better than the one that Taewon entered here with the Titans. I think that's perfectly said. One of the the under-the-radar numbers to come out of the combine measurements was Taewon Taylor checking in at 203 pounds. Hmm. Because this was one of those guys I was really afraid he was going to be 5'11", 180. And if you're 5'11", 180, you lose a lot of good comparables at the NFL level. Your upside trajectory really narrows if you're 5'11", 180. But if you're 5'11", 203... All of a sudden, you become more comparable to a lot of these yards after the catch monsters in the NFL, like a Golden Tate. He became instantly very closely comparable to Doug Baldwin. Can I add another measurement on there as well? Yes. It's his arm length. Um, Yes. So 5'11", 203, like you mentioned, but over 32 and a half inch arms. And then compare that to... Uh, Dave Robert Davis, who obviously we know is six foot three almost, he has 33 inch arms, right? So almost a four inch differential in terms of height, but just a half inch in terms of arm length. To me, that allows Taewon to play much bigger than he is in those situations that are contested. Right. And his catch radius on playerprofiler.com is above the 50th percentile. It's very rare for an NFL wide receiver below six feet tall to have an upper percentile catch radius. Taewon Taylor has that also because the agility, he had one of the best shuttle times, one of the best three-cone times, 1078 agility score, 92nd percentile. So he looks like what I would call a slot plus at the NFL level. Definitely. He has that slot receiver agility with yards after the catch in his arsenal. That's slot plus. That's a slot receiver that can actually function as a volume receiver and be their team's primary option, just like Doug Baldwin. Who's Doug Baldwin's quarterback? Mobile quarterback who likes to see throws before he makes them because he's so cognizant of not turning the ball over. So you have a responsible mobile quarterback in Russell Wilson is the perfect pairing with Doug Baldwin. We have a responsible mobile quarterback in Marcus Mariota and the perfect pairing, Taewon Taylor. It really was... The dream fit of the draft. So congratulations, Josh. You did it, buddy. Hey, you too, buddy. You, you did too, it. Hey. This is great. When, whenever that works out, because we all like prospects, obviously, oh. but then we never know where they're going to end up. This one was just a, a a perfect landing spot. And so the the projection continues and the hype continues on this front. I'm in a dynasty league with only dynasty league podcasters. It's really like an <laughs> insider. Taewon going like top five then? <laughs> yeah, it's, no, no, no. No, not at all. It's an insiders, insiders, dynasty league for podcasters. But a lot of these dynasty leaguers do not follow you and they don't follow our methodologies for evaluating players. So while they're drafting Cooper Cup, Taewon Taylor's falling. I'm vomiting right now. Like, I'm glad this isn't a video podcast. True. This is a true story. And also, they've overvalued draft picks in general in Dynasty. So I traded my picks with the exception of a third rounder. So the only draft pick in that entire league that I was able to execute this season, Taewon Taylor in the third round, shocked he was there. I think they overvalue Rashard Matthews. I think Rashard Matthews is there for another year or two. But it's going to be the Corey Davis, Taewon Taylor show for many years to come now looking at Corey Davis after seeing Corey Davis get picked in the top five does Dalvin Cook regret not faking an injury before the combine (laughs) uh 
Okay. I don't think Corey Davis faked an injury, but I know you're not saying that. I don't know. But you know how this works out. And the same thing with Leonard Fournette in many situations where we don't have a, a complete profile in Leonard Fournette, you know? So, so we don't exactly have a full understanding of his athleticism in comparison to previous years. We call that the nebulous profile. And, and with Dalvin Cook, all that we know is that he has poor athleticism. I actually got in trouble online, Matt, because I said he's a bad athlete. Oh, and God. someone said, well, he's an athlete because he plays the position and plays football, and that means he's an athlete. You don't watch tape. So, look, I, then I'll, I'll refer to the word athleticism. We, we, and, and I'm not saying that Dalvin Cook is a bad football player at all. I still think Dalvin Cook is very talented on the field. But exactly what many of us talked about, that a running back with that athletic profile, really underneath the 25th percentile, has never been selected in the first round, at least in the last 18 and now 19 years. That came true. That's all we were saying. I'm not saying, again, that Dalvin Cook can't succeed because a number of running backs with bad athletic profiles have succeeded in the NFL. But again, it just meant that he wasn't going in round one. And guess what? He didn't go in round one, which is obviously very different than Corey Davis going number five overall. Ask any NFL general manager this question. Do you want to improve your probability of success? 32 out of 32 would say yes. Do you know that probability is baked into this other word that you think is a bad word called analytics? Because all analytics do is use probabilities to define possibilities. That's what it is. That's the definition. So all we're saying is that Dalvin Cook's likelihood of being an every year NFL playmaker that helps you win games is diminished by his workout metrics. Because of course, why have the NFL scouting combine then? If they don't matter, don't have it. Of course they matter. And the Arian Fosters of the world and the Devontae Freemans of the world are outliers. The majority of the big-time NFL playmakers look a lot more like David Johnson than Devontae Freeman. So Dalvin Cook is an outlier that has landed on one of the worst run games in the NFL. So that's why in Dynasty, we have Dalvin Cook push down the running back rankings because he's going to need to break the mold of that profile and he's going to have to wait for the Minnesota Vikings to draft offensive linemen. So this is going to be a couple years in the making before you're looking at Dalvin Cook approaching RB1 status in fantasy. Now, so your favorite pick was clearly Taewon Taylor. What was your least favorite draft day pick maneuver? I like these prospects as individuals. Okay. I like Ardarius Stewart. I like Chad Hansen. Both obviously go to the Jets. Oof. I just don't think the Jets have a plan of what they're doing at all. Um, I understand that Devin Smith had an injury, and so they weren't counting on him, so they drafted more wide receivers. But if, if we look at types, and again, I love our Darius Stewart. I, I, I think he can uh, offer big playability to whatever team he goes to. Same thing with Chad Hansen in many ways. But I think they've gotten extremely repetitive in the type of receiver they've selected and have added. And I, I don't think that that area they've really improved necessarily. It's not like they they, they took a, a bona fide stud at that spot. Um, I, I think Robbie Anderson and, again, Chad Hansen are, are similar prospects. Perhaps Robbie Anderson and and Ardarius Stewart are similar prospects. Now, well, Ardarius Stewart's more similar to Quincy Inunua. Big, rocked-up flankers. Yeah, sure. I, I would say in their play style, they might be different. 
Because to me, a Nunwa will be a, and, and this is just me guessing on how they'll be used. To me, a Nunwa is a close to the line of scrimmage to intermediate type receiver. I think Ardarius was used like that at college for sure. That's because they didn't have a quarterback that could throw. Now he arguably goes to a team that doesn't have a quarterback that can throw either. <laughs> this is the problem. Oh, no. But, but I, I think he has much more vertical ability than a Nunwa, I guess. But I, I guess my overriding point is, it's, and I'm, I'm second-guessing myself here, but you, you, you having an undrafted free agent or seventh-rounder or whatever Robbie Anderson was doesn't prevent you from adding receivers. I just think that they are taking not unnecessary risk of the position, but I, 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 again, I think that the, the state of the roster is so horrible that it doesn't exactly matter how many mid-level shots are taking at receiver right now. Yeah. It felt like 2014 all over again. Remember the Shaq Evans, Jalen Saunders, Quincy Anunua triplet at the wide receiver position that they drafted. It's been three years and they're still executing the same draft strategy. I mean, this is what's demoralizing for fan bases. This is why Jets fans are so miserable. And understandably, at least if you're a Cleveland Browns fan, you see things are happening. You see there's a new approach. You see a strategy coalescing. If you're a Tennessee Titans fan, you see, oh shit, this is happening. We're back, baby. The plan is coming into fruition. Absolutely. Yeah, it's it's on. Can, can I can I mention can I mention also James Conner in round three to the Steelers? Uh I I love the James Conner story. Probably even you, Matt. You love the James Conner story. Of course. It's a great story. Yes. Who doesn't love someone beating cancer, for Christ's sake? I I just don't think he's a very good football player right now. And taking him in round three in a specified role that really is and, – and I think all he's going to be is a goal line back or someone to convert in short-yarded situations. That doesn't even offer you half of what D'Angelo Williams offers, who really when he came into the game – was just a complete uh, supplement or complement to what Le'Veon Bell did just to give him a, a, a breath of, of rest on the sideline. I don't think James Conner offers anything of that. So now I think this team is even more reliant on Le'Veon Bell. And then when Le'Veon Bell is out of the game, the offense drastically, drastically takes a step back if James Conner certainly is that second running back on that roster. Just a weird luxury pick in the third round. I'm always baffled by these weird luxury picks, especially when every team in the NFL, even the Patriots, have needs. Yeah. And you have to draft based on need because it's a year-to-year -year league. So much changes from year to year. Embrace need. You have to draft based on need. You have to try to win every year. Unless you're the Browns and you're committed to tanking, you need to draft based on need. So this idea that you have Ben Roethlisberger for one or two more years left and you're burning a third-round pick on a pure backup player? That doesn't seem to make sense at all. It's weird when they draft redundant assets with early-round draft capital. The most baffling thing I always see every year. And if they wanted a prospect in the similar light, in a similar role, I think Samaje Pirine, who just went, I guess, nine picks later, was a much better prospect in that era to me than James Conner. Yeah, if you're looking for a goal line back, of course you want <laughs> Samaje Pirine. I mean, Samaje Pirine was born to be a goal line back. I remember talking to the, the doctor that delivered Samaje Pirine. And he said, when Samaje Piran was born, I looked at him and I said, this is a goal line back in the NFL. Okay, this is a fake story. Yeah. 
<laughs> yeah, welcome to Roto Underworld Radio, Josh Norris. I, 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 I thought you were like saying the doctor that like nursed his hamstring injury or something, but you actually said brought him to this world. So you yeah, like, delivered you... him. Yeah, the moment he entered this world, everyone in the room <laughs> said, oh, goal line back. You, you are injured older Jonathan Stewart is what you were born at, Samaj P. Ryan. <laughs> yes, yes. Really wish Samaj P. Ryan was a little faster at the combine, just as an aside. I am interested in this whole notion of the luxury pick of the redundant asset because it, it is truly mind-numbing when you see them throughout the draft. So which do you think is more forgivable, the Curtis Samuel luxury pick or the Mike Williams luxury pick? Let me sell you on Curtis Samuel not being a luxury I'm pick. I'm all ears. I think that this is... I think that this is a major, major part of the team's offense that was lacking without Curtis Samuel as the train goes by. Hop on the Curtis Samuel train. Here oh, this go. is perfect. Oh, look at you with the segues. So Curtis Samuel, if you listen to how – and I actually – you're going to think I'm crazy for this. I go back and watch every single draft press conference from every single team and note how they talk about usage and why they like to play or how they're going to use them, all that – effing jargon that they use and oh he's a good guy and competitive whatever you know no i actually think that one out of ten of those press conferences you get a useful nugget yep and i'm about to give you one with curtis samuel so one this team brought in a slot wide receiver coach specifically for the slot and a former player in jericho Cotri. all right two they did not have and they mentioned this they don't have a type in the slot to fulfill and, and didn't last year those slot capabilities like a Jericho Cotri, they said. It was a complete void on that team, which was why I was surprised they didn't go out and sign a Robert Woods. Right. But they apparently knew that there were a lot of slot receivers in this draft, so I have to compliment Dave Gettleman in this particular situation, I guess. And 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 it's not just the underneath or intermediate areas that they were talking about with Curtis Samuel to get the ball in his hands. They frequently mentioned, frequently mentioned how now he is the vertical element to this offense. Now he's also the downfield receiver in Ted Ginn. So in their mind, and who knows if he can do this because obviously he's split reps between running back and wide receiver in their mind. Most of all, he's a wide receiver, but he's a combination of the slot type. Who's the possession yards after catch type, but also the true downfield playmaker on this roster. Wow. And anyone that has that role on the Panthers offense, we saw how even they would they would give tons of opportunities to Ted Ginn. And I like Ted Ginn, but obviously he wastes some opportunities. I think all of those are going to Curtis Samuel because you even look at the rest of the roster, they have no one like him other than an undrafted free agent and Demir Bird, who's coming off, I believe, a knee surgery this offseason as well. So I, I really truly think that Curtis Samuel is a focal point of this offense moving forward. Mm. And and just in, in if I can get nerd football football jargon on you real quick, uh, this team can easily come out in 11 personnel. So one running back, one tight end, three wide receivers with Curtis Samuel in the slot, Christian McCaffrey in the backfield. Without substituting, which doesn't allow the defense to t- substitute, they can go into 21 personnel. Two running backs, one tight end, two wide receivers with Samuel and McCaffrey in the backfield. Or four wide. Or the next play, they can go four wide with a, with a one tight end and an empty set in the backfield. Oh, I just, oh, a shiver just ran down my spine. This is not an exaggeration. A full body shiver just went down my spine thinking about the Panthers in four wide with Greg Olson at tight end. Yep. And and it, it's going to be a lot of – and look, I understand Mike Shule has gotten grief in the past, but I truly think that he is creative enough, and he absolutely is with the running game. He's shown it with that. That also in the passing game, you're going to see and, – and they discussed this, and I'm sure you know this as well. They want to get the ball in McCaffrey and Samuel's hands early on so they can make plays – 
with the ball in their hands. And the Panthers have hadn't haven't had anyone like that in the last two to three years who can make plays after the catch, and it's been a focal point. And so I'm I'm excited to see the duo used together. I know some people think they cancel each other out. I don't think so at all. I think that there's plenty that both can do and be used at the same time as well, and in different areas. When you look at the areas of the field where Cam Newton threw the ball in years past, he never utilized the short area throws. Right. He was last in the league in short area throws. So he was always throwing downfield because that was the only place where he had competent receivers operating. Now, if you have Curtis Samuel and Christian McCaffrey, you're stretching the defense and forcing them to play all four quadrants of the football field, and that should open things up for their offense. So it's exciting for their offense. It's very exciting for Curtis Samuel. So they're all in with Curtis Samuel, the wide receiver, because Curtis Samuel no longer has that convert-to-RB ripcord with Christian McCaffrey back there. If Christian McCaffrey gets hurt, though, it could happen. They could use him in the exact same way. Absolutely. Exactly. So I guess that's also an insurance policy on Christian McCaffrey. So the more I'm thinking about this Curtis Samuel pick, the more I'm liking it. This idea that he's also getting downfield, though, that he's a vertical threat with 4-3-1 wheels also makes sense. So if he can do this, if he's up for this challenge... He would vacuum up all the Ted Ginn and Corey Brown targets. That's pretty good, right? And if he's vacuuming up all those targets, then he's absolutely a wide receiver, too, in fantasy. Yeah, and we'll see if he takes that step early on. Again, like if we're just talking nuance and detail of the position, he has a lot to work on. But again, this is a team that, if you believe in coaching, has a sole slot wide receiver coach. And the only slot wide receiver on the team that is healthy is Curtis Samuel. So he's going to get a ton of reps during the regular season, I mean the preseason, and in training camp. I mean, if I can quickly go to the Chargers real quick, I, I think the main reason that they selected Mike Williams was because they noticed an obvious need and a lack of of a top end player to convert contested catches on the outside. And I, I think the Chargers are very much a reaction team in what their need is. And then they spin that forward. And and obviously a new head coach comes in. And even though we like guys like Tyrell Williams, and even in some cases, if he's super cheap, Don Charles Inman, so on and so forth. Right. It's not like they believe that they should go into a a week in, week out scenario with those guys as two of their top three receivers. Right. So to me, it was a new head coach coming in being like, OK, I want to get my guy at the spot. Keenan Allen injuries. I have no attachment to him. Everyone else, no attachment to them. And I, I believe that that's why they targeted Mike Williams. But we'll see. We'll see. I, I like Mike Williams, but... Keenan Allen is one of the best in the NFL at contested catches. So I'm not sure about this. I don't see how Mike Williams fits in that offense. So we'll see. We'll see. It was a top seven pick. You could have had Marshawn Lattimore or Malik Hooker. Oh, okay. I mean, go ahead, Chargers. <laughs> Good luck. We trust you. Not really. You haven't gained our trust yet with your moves in the last decade. But okay. Good luck with that. God. So I've noticed that a handful of teams are very reactionary, as you said. Yep. The Bears, the Texans, they seem to be trading for short-sighted positional weaknesses, doing so in a way where they're overpaying. And so I've noticed that the teams that stay bad in the NFL stay bad because they make these short-sighted personnel decisions to save their own jobs, and that ends up crippling the franchise for years to come. I think that's happening in Chicago, and I think that's happening in Houston right now. 
Do you agree? I do. Uh, it's the lack of continuity in terms of the two decision makers, the head coach and the general manager, and even in some cases, the owner interferes. Like if we just go back 365 days ago with the Houston Texans, it was, okay, let's sign this quarterback who the head coach has never even contacted, met with, right. anything. And it was clear that that was the general manager's decision and not the head coach's decision. The head coach who has to play that quarterback and and operate an offense with him, and we know that quarterback is just horrible. Um, with the Chicago Bears this year, it is, okay, let me sign this quarterback in free agency who really has not started in a very long time to appease an old man head coach that is stuck in his ways and does not like to play rookie quarterbacks oh. um, or rookies in general, it seems like, with John Fox, even dating back to his Carolina Panther days. And But meanwhile, I will in some ways undermine him by – planning for the future because I am not tied to John Fox necessarily. And in many scenarios, the general manager lasts longer than the head coach, even if both suck. So, yeah. okay, John, here's your 2016 or 2017 quarterback, but here's my 2018, 2019, 2020 quarterback in Mitchell Trubisky moving forward. And the same thing with the Texans. I don't know if this was a, a Bill O'Brien decision, a general manager decision, whoever, but obviously someone made the decision, even if it was the owner, but they know that they are in a bad spot at quarterback. And so, yes, this is absolutely a reactionary move. These GMs are the Neville Chamberlains of the NFL. They are simply... Who is that? They have a policy of appeasement, but they do not have a grand strategic vision to win in the long term. And it's really clear. What you're saying right now in terms of the front office dynamics, you could predict that this was the case, that there was a lack of communication by the moves themselves. Clearly, the coach and the general manager are acting against the best interest of the owners and the fans, and the only way to solve it is for the owner to bring in a new general manager, a new coach, and then step away from the process and say, this is your team for the next five years. You don't need to be coaching for your job. You don't need to be general managing for your job. The lack of continuity is what keeps the bad teams bad, and that's why New England continues to be at the top without these draft picks doesn't matter. The continuity creates this self-fulfilling prophecy. Now, you look at what New England did. Brought in Ely, brought in Cooks, and then they drafted Derek Rivers. If you think about Brandon Cooks and Coney Ely as draft picks, could you argue the Patriots won this draft? Yeah. Uh, I'm not a big Coney Ely fan, uh, but from a Derek Rivers, Brandon Cooks, Antonio Garcia note, absolutely. Let, let's not forget that Antonio Garcia note, who was a third-round pick by them, who profiles as possibly one of the true left tackles in this class. Wait, Antonio Garcia was also an incredible pick? I love it. Not just Derek Rivers? No, and, and both. And I understand that everyone says, well, the Patriots took him, so they're good draft picks. If, if we're just going by, and sure, they are my rankings, so who knows by that. But Derek Rivers was my number 24 overall prospect. Yes. And Antonio Garcia was my number 44 overall prospect. Get out! And it, and it was 84 and I believe 87. They were both selected. Wow. Derek Rivers comes in and offers pass rushing upside immediately. immediately. Who doesn't want pass rushing upside? He's so good. He's a first round pick. Yes, I, I absolutely thought he was. He was a first round pick by every measure. I started evaluating for the first time defensive players. And I was dumbfounded by Derek Rivers because he was not showing up at any marked drafts in the first round. And it was stunning to me because I said, if you care about production, then you love Derek Rivers. If you care about size-adjusted athleticism, then you love Derek Rivers. 
what am I missing with Derek Rivers? You, you're not missing anything. And someone like Ryan Anderson from Alabama who is like, there's a Ryan Anderson in every single draft class. Let's put it that way, if not multiple, okay? Derek Rivers immediately, once again, gives you speed and athleticism off the edge and in one of the true one-on-one matchups across the board in an NFL game. Athleticism, that's why it matters for these pass rushers, it, either interior or on the outside. And Matt, I mean, a big part of it was because he's an FCS prospect, you know, and FCS prospects rarely go in round one. And if they do, they might be quarterbacks. You know, we saw it with Joe Flacco. We saw it with Carson Wentz. But like last year, for example, Javon Hargrave to me was a first round type prospect taken in the fourth round, I believe, by the Pittsburgh Steelers and ends up starting for them at defensive tackle. So and and, and let me finish this Antonio Garcia point really, really fast, because this is a a team that obviously wanted to target tackles because Nate Solder's career might not be long for them. And they have one of the best offensive line coaches in Dante Scarnecchia. They were going through tackle after tackle after tackle with private workouts. And I didn't expect Antonio Garcia to be there in round three. And if you want to turn on one game, it's that Clemson game. I mean, he is one of the true um, prospects on the left side that, that can stay on the left side in terms of athleticism. I know he didn't test like it, but in terms of footwork, we've seen it on the field. And then also has like a finisher's mentality. So I wouldn't be surprised, Matt, if we see him as the starter, maybe not next year, but in 2018 or 2019, because he'll act as the swing tackle early on as well and be active, which a third round pick, a late third round pick, that's absolute value in, in what the league pays tackles now. Fucking Patriots, man. It's crazy. It's crazy. Fucking Patriots. God, I can't believe what they're doing. And by the way, the Alabama defensive unit is the most overrated defensive unit in NFL draft history. We saw it. All the analysts had all these Alabama defensive players in their top 10. How many Alabama defensive players were drafted in the top 10? Zero. And they were sliding and slipping and sliding throughout the draft. And of course, then their JAG players get drafted too early because, oh, why not an Alabama player? I had the hot take in a production meeting before the Yahoo show. And I said, my bold prediction is that every single Alabama defensive prospect in this draft will bust. And they said, that's too hot. Is that too hot? By the odds, yes. But if we go by value. If we go by individual players, I understand why O.J. Howard didn't go as early as many expected, even though many believed he was a top 10 prospect. No, I'm just saying on the defensive side. Oh, on the defensive yeah, side. Yeah, just the defensive me. side. I like O.J. Howard. I would never. Right. Oh, I would never. I would never say O.J. Howard. O.J., if you're out there, I would never. Oh, no, 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 Otarius Jabari. There you go. Howard, I would never say anything bad about you. The defensive prospects were largely overrated, though, because they didn't test well. They had off-the-field concerns. Right. Or they had medical issues. And I'm sitting here going, why would I draft Jonathan Allen in the early first round when I can get Taco Charlton in the late first round? Yeah, it's a good question. And let's talk about Jonathan Allen real quick, because many believed he slid in the draft. And some might have pointed it to, you know, Possible shoulder arthritis down the road. I won't point to that. I'll point to his actual game because one, he's not a good athlete. Okay. He tested in like the 25th or 30th percentile, I believe. And that's a defensive tackle. And you can't play necessarily defensive tackle. That's being generous. He's not big enough. Right. You can't play defensive tackle at 286 pounds consistently right. unless you're Aaron Donald. And Aaron Donald is the freak of freaks we've ever seen. Yeah, Aaron Donald's athleticism is in the 100th percentile. Right, that's like my combine versus a Usain Bolt combine. Yeah. Like it's 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 totally opposite. Nuts. Jonathan Allen and and this is why teams I think that are quote unquote 3-4, so odd man fronts liked him more than 
quote unquote, four man fronts, right? Even fronts. Because if a team used a top 10, top 15 pick on him, that trots out two edge rushers and two interior defensive linemen. So four man front, they would then have to move him inside in pass rushing situations. So then you have to use another premium pick or a lot of money on another edge rusher to come in in those same situations. Whereas a team like the Redskins that in many ways seem like they want to use three man fronts with two edge rushers on the outside that they, that allows him to work on the outside and then move inside naturally because that's, that's the, the, the honest progression and the seamless progression of that defense. So whereas, like I said, a team with a four man front would then have to move him interior to the interior and still have an edge rusher that they paid a lot of money to or drafted highly that doesn't add up in terms of a top 10, top 15 pick. If you draft a defensive end, you want him to stay on a defensive end spot for all phases. Yeah, he essentially is a non-athletic tweener on defense. Yeah, kind of. <laughs> I'm sitting here looking at it going, wait a second, wait a second, wait a second. I don't even like athletic tweeners on the offensive side. I don't even like Evan Ingram. And now I'm supposed to try to justify a non-athletic defensive tweener. How does this work? Oh, I know how this works, Josh. He wore an Alabama uniform. Ooh. And if he wore an Alabama uniform and he put up numbers, then he must be good. And this is all while so many analysts are calling Patrick Mahomes a system quarterback. And I'm sitting here going, Patrick Mahomes is not a system quarterback. The system is Patrick Mahomes. Alabama is a system. Alabama defenders like Reuben Foster and Jonathan Allen, those are system defenders. If you want to call anyone a system player, call the Alabama defensive players system players. So I, I really like Jonathan Allen. Let me put that out there. But I liked him in a specific scenario, and one of those scenarios was the one he went to. So I'm, I'm in on Jonathan Allen. I, I was just only selling it from the perspective of a team that plays in a different way than the Redskins do. So let's put it that way. So that's why, to me, he wasn't going to go in the top 10. But for the system he landed in, I mean, I think he's automatically their best defensive lineman, which really helps, and he'll get on the field early. It's not saying a lot on Washington. No, 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 it's not at all. It's not at all. But, you know, it sounds good when I say it. I also don't <laughs> like his low ceiling. With Taco Charlton, he's 6'6", dude. He could grow into something really disruptive. I just don't see it with Jonathan Allen. So we'll disagree, but this is just where I see you know the value propositions throughout the draft. I thought Taco Charlton was a nice value proposition. I thought Malik McDowell was a nice value proposition. Love Malik McDowell, dude. How the hell does a player with Malik McDowell's measurables go in the second round? How? How? Well, it's it's because of the things we obviously can't see on a sheet, you know? Like, there, there's just been so much buzz that he didn't get along with the coaches at Michigan State, that he walked out on them, blah, blah, blah. I'll, I'll say this. I believe he is 20 years old. Uh, I know you and I both know plenty of people who were not kind when they were 20 years old. And then hopefully, and we know them now, that who have grown up since then. And that's what happens. That is maturing. And who knows if that happens for a guy who will then get millions of dollars in the NFL, whatever. I, I don't know him. And, and I think that's important that I don't know him. And that's the same thing with any of these prospects. I don't know them. So what I think I do know is how they play on the field. And to me, Malik McDowell was a top 10 talent. And I could not be more thrilled with his landing spot with the Seahawks because they have turned players around like him in the past. Yes. And if, if look, 
it's it's weird because the Seahawks, I, I wouldn't necessarily, I, I don't know how to say this, but they like players that other teams don't like, but they like them if they really, really care about football. You know, they can have these other things going on, but if their main focus is being successful at football, they will take the chance and take the risk with that because they think they can harness that and cultivate that. And look, if they sign off with Malik McDowell, I think that's absolutely noteworthy because they know him much better than I do. My parents raise racehorses, and it's very difficult sometimes when you have a horse that doesn't want to be harnessed. They can kick you in the face, and they're dangerous to be around. But that's actually something they look for. They don't want the docile horse. If the horse is wild in the paddock area, that often means when they get out there on the track, all they want to do is run through a motherfucker's face. And these are gladiators, dude. That's what they do. That's what we want. We want players that don't care about consequences. They just want to go out there and point and fire and run through a motherfucker's face. These are not doctors. Right. <laughs> yeah. We can let Marshawn Lynch say it in his own words. That's when it just clicked in my mind that if you just run through somebody's face, a lot of people ain't going to be able to take that over and 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 over again. They're just not going to want that. Think there's a deeper metaphor there? Run through a motherfucker face. Then you don't have to worry about them no more. This is gladiator spectacle. You want the guys that are willing to sacrifice their body and do not process consequences. Because if they process consequences, they're going to think, oh, in the future, I'm going to have less brain cells and I may be in a wheelchair at age 50. You can't care about that at this level. So that's the weird thing about the whole process of evaluating someone's character. Because I just don't have a character measurement system. And I've read transcripts of these questions that they ask at the Combine. It's a joke. It's a joke. They're demeaning, and they serve no purpose whatsoever in terms of understanding what these players are going to be able to do on the football field. It's just this weird, sicko power play that these scouts play against these players who they, I think, in their bones are a little jealous of. We're about to make a lot of money playing a game, and this is their last chance to really show these kids, quote-unquote. And that's what they refer to as kids and boys and all that kind of right, stuff. Right, yeah, the boys and the kids. For the next few hours, I hold your future in my hands, and I'm going to embarrass you with these questions. And if you don't say yes, sir, no, sir, we're going to put a red X next to your name, and that's going to cost you money. That part of it really bothers me. That's why I like what we do, where we take a step back and we say, well, okay, what can we measure? What can we not measure? And we look at their film and we say, okay, this guy's a good football player. This guy's not a good football player. This guy's clearly, by far and away, in Malik McDowell, the best tackle in this draft. And it's not even remotely close. And the idea that, of course, the Seattle Seahawks are going to restock their defense with players like Malik McDowell yeah. is the reason why they're always in the playoffs and the reasons why teams like the 49ers and the Rams are never in the playoffs. So when you look at these teams with bad front offices, 
which would you say are the three front offices that deviate the most from your evaluation process where you look at the moves and say, whatever they're looking at is not something I'm looking at when evaluating players. Well, and I quickly want to finish this point in the Seahawks real quick because they have, again, cultivated talents that other people and other teams did not get along with. If you go back and read up on the history of Richard Sherman and, and Jim Harbaugh, if you read up on the history of Doug Baldwin and Jim Harbaugh, like those are scenarios where even their head coach did not get along with the players. But Matt, like you and I, again, both have people that we don't get along with. But guess what? There are plenty of people, other people who respect and value that one person. Like sometimes personalities just don't mesh. And, and if I can quickly just talk about the anonymous scout quotes real quick. You are taking someone's word about another personality, someone you've never met, about another person you've never met. Like, think, think about that train of thought here. You are believing someone you've never met, describing another person you've never met. Like, how can you even say, well, this guy is this because this one person said it? Like, that's absolutely stunning to me, and I never want to be associated with that because I think it's absolutely crazy. I think it's absolutely nuts. To get to your question, I, I have actually never, ever question myself about this. I've, I've never thought, well, which teams do I disagree with most? I would say the first three picks for the Vikings this year are fascinating because all three are, are horrible athletes. Now, again, or I should say, are have poor athleticism for that one person on Twitter that comes at me. I'm not saying that they are bad prospects. Again, I think they can be successful. But Dalvin Cook, bad athlete his position. Pat Elfline, bad athlete his position. Jaleel Johnson, bad athlete his position. I was team Rick Spielman when they drafted Jarek McKinnon. It looked like they were starting to look at the right things, focus on the metrics that matter, that are predictive. And then last year they went out and drafted Laquan Treadwell in the first round, and I just threw my papers in the air. <laughs> I would say the Jaguars in, in some ways as well. Look, they, they, they took a running back at number four, who I like, but one, you have to plan your entire running scheme around him, which is good coaching, theoretically, but it's not like he shines in any area. So to me, they are trying to replicate exactly what the Cowboys did a year before them, but are not going to succeed right. because Leonard Fournette is such a worse talent than Ezekiel Elliott. Yes, this is like coming to America. The Dallas Cowboys are McDonald's and the Jacksonville Jaguars are McDowell's. <laughs> Uh, then the third one, I don't even know, man. Like, um, I, if, if I can list a few who, who match up a lot with, with what I think the Atlanta Falcons are definitely one. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. The, the Falcons are one. It seems like every single year, the Falcons take a player in rounds four, rounds five, or round six, who I absolutely loved more than anyone else. Uh, Devonte Freeman was one. Sorry, Matt. Grady Jarrett was one. I'm happy to be wrong on Devontae Freeman. Right. Uh, Grady Jarrett was one, and then he got, what, like three sacks in the Super Bowl. Uh, this year, it's Eric Salbert, the tight end out of Drake. Like, I I'm excited, and I know they have Austin Hooper, so he's not going to take Austin Hooper's role because he was a second-round pick. But in terms of adding another weapon that's a receiving option on that team, and I know that, again, tight ends progress very slowly, but, I, I mean, I guarantee you that Eric Salbert's going to be better than Levine Toilolo and whoever else they have. Chase Coffin, if he's still even in the NFL, someone like that. He can fill that receiving type situation and, again, help potentially Matt Ryan in the red zone. And the red zone has been an area where he has struggled with in the past. Yeah, incremental victories across the position groups. I mean, that's all you're trying to do is incrementally improve your team across position groups consistently with every pick and maximize value. 
I mean, that's the strategy, right? I just said it, okay? I just said the strategy, okay? And in general, you want to pick players that enhance the pass of your own team and can prevent your opponents from executing pass plays. So you want to bolster your own passing game and hurt your opponent's passing game with your picks. And ideally, make draft picks at the positions with the highest scarcity at the top. So if you can get an elite player at a scarce position group, like a Miles Garrett at the edge rusher position, that's an auto pick at 101. Which is why I was stunned with a couple slides, particularly at the cornerback position. How the hell does Marshawn Lattimore make it out of the top 10? And how the fuck can you not draft Kevin King, a full-blown velociraptor in the secondary, outside the first round? How? Yeah, no, I agree. And and to me, football comes down to four easy things. Winning a football game, I should say. It's, It's protecting with five blockers, so you don't have to keep a running back or a tight end in or chip or whatever. It's pass rushing with four, so you can get home without having to blitz. It's it's creating big plays, as we've seen with guys with the ball in their hands or winning vertically, and then it's winning the turnover differential. Like to me, it's that simple. And there are plenty of picks that are associated with those, or could be. Then there are plenty of picks that aren't. Um, but but I agree, man. Like to me, Kevin King is is really fucking good. And <laughs> and if we talk about ball skills, quote unquote. He has them. Like if, if you go just watch his interceptions, he will attack the ball in the air. Now, I, I do think that if the Packers stuck at 29, which I think they were at, then they would have taken him. But and it's I think the same thing with the Seahawks, wherever they were. Well, they traded out. I thought the Seahawks were going to draft Kevin right. King and then they traded out of the end of the first round. And I thought because uh, 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 everything lines up with them in terms of the measurements, the thresholds. No, 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 no. You were supposed to draft. Kevin. <laughs> you were King. the chosen one. <laughs> a thousand dollar wager in Vegas. The Seahawks would draft Kevin King. You could trade out of this pick. And they ended up getting Malik McDowell anyway, because the Seahawks know what they're doing. Yeah. Um, and I have some questions about. Marshawn Lattimore, but I, I think a big part might be sample size. Like we talked about it all year with Mitchell Trubisky, uh, but in you know Marshawn Lattimore's case, it was sample size, only one year basically. I love Garen Conley, and I'm fascinated to see what transpires moving forward with him being a first round pick, despite information or lack thereof that one week. But that's a completely different story. Uh, yeah, man. I mean, corner is obviously a cornerstone position, and then not one not going in the top ten, despite three receivers that many of us pegged outside of the top ten. I think that's absolutely telling. Right. The Marshawn Lattimore slide was the most stunning to me because he looks like <laughs> the Miles Garrett of the cornerback position. I mean, he's in the same percentile rank across those explosion metrics and the size adjusted speed, and he's incredibly young, 21.0 years old. And regardless of the production, and he was productive, this idea that he's not a good tackler, and yet he had 40 tackles in his final year at Ohio State. Okay, he is a good tackler, and he has great ball skills, and he has the best recovery ability of anyone. He can be flat-footed and still make plays on the ball. I mean, that's what you want. So the fact that he was able to supplant Gary and Conley, who in his own right was a top-five cornerback, at Ohio State and become the alpha dog in that secondary was also telling. So from a lot of different levels, both anecdotally and analytically, Marshawn Lattimore, I thought should be a top five pick. So if I'm the Jacksonville Jaguars or I'm the San Diego Chargers, I'm any of these teams, I'm considering Marshawn Lattimore. And I know you're saying, well, those teams have two good cornerbacks. Well, I understand that. 
But on the defensive side of the ball, a member of each position group gets hurt every year. More defensive players get hurt than offensive players. And you can never, ever have enough good cornerbacks. Why do you think the Denver Broncos have had the best defense in the NFL for consecutive years? Do you really think it's because of Von Miller? No, Von Miller's a reason. He's a reason. But if you had to pick the reason, the reason is three quality defensive backs, including a great slot corner. So, for example, the reason I was so surprised that San Diego Chargers picked Mike Williams over Marshawn Lattimore is because I would love to see Casey Hayward play slot corner. You put Casey Hayward in the slot and you have Jason Barrett and Marshawn Lattimore on the outside. I mean, good luck to the Oakland Raiders trying to throw against that group. But no, but no, I don't run an NFL team. No, they're picking redundant assets. And I understand. Kevin King allowed one touchdown in 27 games. <laughs> he broke our metrics. We were setting up defensive players on playerprofiler.com, and we had to go in with special code to facilitate Kevin King's measurables. Yeah, he's a freak. He has the best catch radius in the database. He has the best agility score in the database. Now think about a guy with a 1045 agility score at 6'3". I've never seen yeah. it. I don't know what it looks like. I, I, I've never seen that, and he's going outside the top 32. Okay, NFL. Okay. No, no, no. no, no. You guys know what you're doing. I'm sure. Yeah, we just player <laughs> profile or analyze. Now, just now. I trust you. Those moves you're making in the end of the first round, those are good. Yeah, Dolphins, who need a defensive back. Yeah. Okay, Charles Harris, who also doesn't have a position. Okay, good luck with that. So what do you do with Charles Harris when you're scouting a defensive player? and he's playing out of position in college, they're playing someone who should be a middle linebacker or an outside linebacker at defensive tackle or defensive end, you can't properly scout him. How do you project a player who's not playing his ultimate position in the NFL at the college level? I like Charles Harris, so th this might be an interesting conversation. I, I think anyone that can rush the passer from the outside can play frequently on an NFL team. And that their position or their role uh, as a definition might be more of a topic than it is um, important to their production on the field or their play on the field. I think Charles Harris is a defensive end. I think he is an edge rusher. Uh, I think that what he offers is... How? His burst score is 108.9, 18th percentile. Right. And his 40 time is only 482. So he doesn't have any burst at the next level. I mean, he's playing against. Well, are, are, so so let me let me ask you this. Are you going by, are you going by his combine or are you going by his pro day? Everything was vastly improved at his pro day. What happened there? Well, look, this happens sometimes, all right? And sometimes it does, sometimes it doesn't. And I think a big part of it honestly might be rest. Rest is a major factor in combine uh, poor athletic testing than some might believe just because of they have to get up at like five or six in the morning. It's a strenuous day, have to then work out and go through this full workout. Um, some might just not handle it. You know, some might not have slept before. We know how, I mean, I'm fucking terrible at my job when I don't sleep the night before, or I have to get up super early and then not work out until 10 or 11 or that type of stuff. Uh, and look, at their pro day, if I can point to one thing that is different, is rest. I mean, they sleep in their own bed. They don't have to wake up for a urine test. Uh, they, they've been able to be well-rested. And if I had to point to one thing, it would be that. I, I don't think we should just look away from combine tests because some are better than others. Uh, 
I, I think we should actually embrace them and, and just say, hey, maybe he just had a bad day. You know what I mean? And and I think with Charles Harris, that's absolutely the case. I, I know that he's not a top-end tester, but I believe with his pro day stuff, he's a middle-of-the-road tester. So he was an average athlete. And average athletes are okay, you know? I think with – and you might agree with me. I think a, a, a big part of recognizing athletic testing and factoring it in is realizing who the superb athletes are and realizing who the non-NFL athletes are. And with Charles Harris in the middle of the road, I think it works. I think he, on the field, wins within his first three to five steps around the edge and then offers a a counter move that consistently works. And to win as a pass rusher, you have to have two moves, and I think he has that, and he does it consistently. So I'm, I guess, more optimistic about Charles Harris's future than you are. I get it with Derek Barnett. Derek Barnett was so prolific. He broke Reggie White's sack record at Tennessee. So I had Charles Harris over Derek Barnett. Well, no, I would understand it if you have incredible production at an early age. You're Derek Barnett, and you're leading the SEC in sacks as a true freshman. What? 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 And then you have a great agility score, so it's conceivable you can put on weight and play tackle and be a run stuffer. That I can see. I see that in his range of outcomes. I just don't see Charles Harris at 6'3 with 32 and 3'8 inch arms and no burst being an NFL playmaker worthy of first round status. He was just one of those handful of defenders like Jonathan Allen where I was scratching my head going, I'm seeing him go very high in mocks. Clearly, the NFL appreciates his ability, drafting him in the first round. I just don't see it. And I'm new to this. I've been scouting defensive players for a couple weeks. (laughs) So we're just going to see how it goes. Like with Jamal Adams. Like, I don't understand the fascination with Jamal Adams. What's the fascination with Jamal Adams? Well, I'm probably the wrong person to talk to with this because I actually think I have Jamal Adams ranked lower than or later than anyone else. Please. No, I want to hear from you because everybody loves Jamal Adams. So much leadership. So consistent. Yeah. Yeah. And I had him at number. (laughs) I had him at number 20. All right. That makes sense to me. Yeah. That sounds like a rational slot for Jamal Adams. Top 10. (laughs) Get the hell out of here with Malik Hooker still on the board. Well, yeah. And it seemed like every every single person had him top 10. Let let me tell you where Jamal Adams succeeds. Uh, To me, it's on runs to the outside. It's on short passes and it's on screen passes. So anything moving forward and closer to the line of scrimmage, that's where he is valuable. So I guess he can be treated like an extra linebacker when crashing down to the box, even though when he's not lining up in the box. So he he attacks in that area of the field. But for me, if I'm talking about safeties, I'm talking about big plays and mitigating big plays, right? I'm talking about not allowing intermediate to downfield portions in the field. And even in those situations, maybe possibly creating turnovers as well. I have questions about Jamal Adams in those areas, um, but not, you know, moving forward. I have questions about him moving back. It seems like I am the only one with these questions. So I, I, I can't even answer why he's, everyone's so confident. I believe Lewis Riddick said, well, he could have done what Malik Hooker did if they asked him to do that at LSU. Bullshit! <laughs> okay, I can only go by what I saw. And I certainly didn't see him being used like Malik Hooker who can thrive in a middle of the field scenario and create big plays in the deeper portions of the field like few we've ever seen. No, if I were a quarterback in the Big Ten, I would have quit after the Ohio State game. <laughs> 
No, I would have quit. I would have just quit. I would have cried in my locker. I would have thrown my helmet down, smashed my shoulder pads on the ground, and quit. I would have walked out, and I would have said, hey, everybody in the locker room, hey, coaches, uh, I'm going to go now, and <laughs> we'll see you later. I can't do this. I mean, how did anyone throw for positive yards against Ohio State? I have this question, because, it's, it's not, because those defensive backs are actually great. The most overrated defensive backs were on LSU. Tredavious White, please. Jamal Adams, please. But what I don't understand is when you could have an Obi Melanfonwu, a guy with truly special athletic traits who also had 88 tackles in his final year, with that kind of ceiling in the second round, why are you drafting a safety in the first round? I don't understand that, but this is also the Jets. So it's funny when we talk about a lot of these teams that are making these draft picks that we don't understand. Well, look who the teams are. Oh, the New York Jets. Ah, 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 ah. Makes sense. I, and I'm I'm very curious to see how the Jabril Peppers pick makes sense for the for the Browns. Um, I'm sure he had plenty of tackles and whatever in college, but where he played was like a funnel for tackles in college. Like he played linebacker. He cannot play linebacker in the NFL. To me, he's a slot corner or third safety yeah. on a team that's just going to play closer to the box. He's a strong safety. There's another question I have with Jabril Peppers. How do you project a guy like that when he has to move positions? You can't. Yeah, and and it's a position that will be if he is a true safety, totally different than where he played. Like he played in like a seven yard range of the line of scrimmage last year, right? Maybe even closer at times. Now, if you move him twelve yards away and ask him to run opposite, like run away from the football, that that's concerning to me. It's 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 odd that when we see a lot of these linebackers that people say are smaller, let's just take them further from the football when their best closer to the football. Like that line of thinking, people said about Telvin Smith, people said about Miles Jack, we'll see what Miles Jack does, but Shaq Thompson is another. I just don't understand why when someone is at their best closest to the football, you want to move him further away from the football just because of their size, and I think that their play will suffer because of it. Well, that's the tweener we talked about, but unlike Jonathan Allen, Jabril Peppers is more like the Evan Ingram of the defense. He is an athletic tweener, and I think he's also a justified luxury pick. When yeah. do you want to make a luxury pick? When you have lots of picks, and the guy you're drafting is potentially exceptional, but his background is ambiguous because he has to move positions. But the upside is best defensive player in this draft because he was the best defensive player coming out of high school in 2013, according to USA Today. And he was a track star in high school, won the 100 and 200 meter sprints as a junior and a senior at the state level. So this guy is a phenomenal athlete. And then the fact that he's played every position on the football field at one point or another in the last five years tells me he's simply hashtag good at football. So you take a hashtag good at football guy who's an exceptional athlete, you don't necessarily need to know what position you're going to play him because you're admitting on the front end, this is a luxury pick. And we're not burning a luxury pick in the top 10. We're burning it in the late first round when we have three first round picks. So this was the ideal time and place and player to execute a luxury pick. Once again, the Cleveland Browns just acing this draft. They aced the draft, admit it. No, they did. I want to ask you this question. It is two conflicting sides to conversations and topics you've brought up today. So you talked about how you are concerned about every single Alabama prospect, yet you obviously 
side towards athleticism in many scenarios and length and things like that. What do you think then of Marlon Humphrey to the Baltimore Ravens? Marlon Humphrey was the only Alabama defensive player that I identified before the draft as a value. And so the fact that he was drafted so early was comforting for my own evaluation because I'm looking at Alabama defensive players and I am questioning everything about my process. And then Marlon Humphrey goes early in the middle of the first round to the Baltimore Ravens, and that was a calming effect on me. I said, okay, okay, this is right. Okay, I think when Marlon Humphrey got drafted before Jonathan Allen, I patted myself on the back, and I said to myself under my breath, you know what you're doing. You're doing a good job. It's okay, Matt. It's okay. You got this. You got this. You're good at this. You're good. You're good. You're going to be all right. You're going to be just fine. This is going to work out. That was the effect of the Marlon Humphrey draft pick. Love him. So, uh, and you meant you asked about the Cleveland Browns, and I, I do want to get to them. I absolutely love what the Cleveland Browns did this year in terms of starting in free agency, about adding offensive linemen. Uh, this is a team that obviously had practically zero talent at the quarterback position heading into the draft. And what is better than having an offensive line to give them as much time and room and space for for peace in the pocket? It's offensive linemen. They took advantage of potential market inefficiencies in terms of teams not wanting to pay interior offensive linemen. And they said, okay, we have to use all this cash. Let's do it. Let's build the interior and have Joe Thomas on the outside as well. And that fifth piece in terms of the right tackle spot, we can figure it out with multiple pieces. Um, Then you add on Kenny Britt, a veteran receiver who has been productive with horrible quarterbacks in the past, along with Corey Coleman, which we know is a big play threat. Now this is a situation that, to me, there is no reason why Deshaun Kaiser cannot succeed in this situation. It is a perfect one for him, and I love Deshaun Kaiser in terms of the quarterbacks in this class. Why not Deshaun Kaiser? He's just as good as any of the others. Just take a shot on the guy in the second round. I really do feel like someone in Cleveland plays fantasy football, and they understand how runs work. And they said, oh, we're the last team that's going to draft a quarterback. We can just wait into perpetuity into the second round, finally push the button in the middle of the second round on a first-round quarterback. (laughs) It's just genius. Yeah, and and, and the other teams who did trade up for quarterbacks, I mean, every other of the three teams did. And to me, it's crazy that they are so confident in their quarterback evaluations that they wanted to move up for those passers. It's so hard to scout and evaluate quarterback play. Everyone knows it's by far and away the hardest position to evaluate. You don't want to take chances on quarterbacks in the top 10 unless you know they're Andrew Luck. I mean, everybody knows a couple every decade are can't-miss guys, okay? But other than that, why are you taking chances? Because if you miss, you doom your franchise for five years of purgatory. You're the Jacksonville Jaguars with Blake Bortles. You cannot do that. I would never take a quarterback with, say, the third pick. I mean, I know Matt Ryan happened. I know Ben Roethlisberger happened. I know Aaron Rodgers happened late in the first round. But do you want me to go ahead and list all the bust quarterbacks that were drafted at slot 3 through 32? (laughs) You don't have enough time. We don't have enough time just in the last 10 years. You don't have time for me to list all the Christian ponders. So what I would do is 
throw darts at quarterbacks in the second round and beyond, and yep. then you're also not putting the pressure on them to succeed right away. You're not risking quarterback purgatory because they can have a true, genuine competition for quarterback during preseason between Kessler and Kaiser. May the best man win, and if you never end up starting Kaiser, no one is going to raise an eyebrow because he wasn't a first-round pick. And the team is going to run the ball a lot this year. Like, they started off the season last year running the ball a lot, and they've only improved their offensive line. And if, if we're talking about two perfect scenarios here, you either have a Russell Wilson scenario of a mid-level shot working in Deshaun Kaiser, or you have a Jimmy Clausen scenario of taking a second-round pick and it not working out, and then the next year just taking one at number one or number two or whatever. That's it. If it lines up. And, and so a second-round pick is nothing for a quarterback. It's nothing. It's something right. you can walk away from. You can't walk away from Bortles. Jacksonville didn't draft any quarterbacks this year. How crazy was it? Jacksonville <laughs> didn't throw one dart at a quarterback, and all they have is Blake Bortles. What are you doing? Yeah. It, 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 I mean, they re-signed freaking Chad Henney. Stop it! Stop it! Yeah, this team is not trying to improve other than <laughs> saying, okay, now we are going to be the Jackson, the, the Dallas Cowboys of the AFC. Meanwhile, you took a worse running back who can't even possibly, I mean, it's a chance he plays on passing downs, but he's not going to be as good as Zeke. And it's just old school, man. Like it's, I, I, I'm truly worried of what that offense for the, for the Jaguars is going to look like. Um, Terrifying. It's, it's it, I'm 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 truly nervous about it. But like with, with the Browns, let's continue with this, right? We talked about their their offensive line. We talked about the wide receivers they brought in. I'm ready for Corey Coleman season two. I know season one wasn't very good, but Can't looking wait. forward to season two. Exciting. And then you add on David and Joku, man. Oh baby, David and Joku oh. is a big play at the tight end spot where there aren't many big play playmakers. He led this draft class in terms of yards after the catch. Possibly the best tight end draft class of all time. Oh, it is. By the numbers, the best tight end draft class of all time. I understand 2010 worked out really well with Gronkowski right. and Graham, but as prospects, when they were graded as prospects and evaluated, no one thought, oh, Rob Gronkowski, he's a locked-in first-rounder. No. When you're grading them as prospects before we've seen them play football at the NFL level, best class of all time at the tight end position. Yep. So you have David Njoku, and then you have someone who didn't get a lot of run last year, but they're obviously pretty high on, and Seth DeValve, who was another athletic freak. So you have two possible mismatches of young players who are potentially getting better, hopefully, that's the goal, um, along with, again, an offense that might be ground-focused, but at the very least will give their quarterback time. Yeah. I, I, and, and then Hugh Jackson, who creates interesting dynamics in terms of offensive style and doesn't give you the same look play after play after play. I'm, I'm, I'm truly excited to see what the Browns do with this. It's so funny how many sports fans believe that Cleveland Browns are trapped in this elongated rebuilding period. Oh, no, 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 next year if i'm not mistaken like they they're doing it right man uh, having all these picks from these quarterback trades oh, like God. yeah man you go ahead and take jared Goff. too good it's too good like i know that they weren't the team to trade with for jared Goff, but let's just say okay at best 
teams last year at picks one and two got it 50% correct with Carson Wentz versus Jared Goff, right? At best. Who would be surprised if Deshaun Kaiser ends up being the best quarterback drafted in the last two years? Who would be surprised by that? It's not like Matt Ryan had great numbers at Boston College. He did not. Ben Roethlisberger didn't have great numbers at Miami of Ohio. They did not. They looked the part. Those that are specialists in evaluating quarterbacks saw something in Matt Ryan and Ben Roethlisberger that people like me will never see. But those people also see something in Deshaun Kaiser, and I trust those people. Uh, yeah, and hopefully I am one of those people because I, I I think that Deshaun Kaiser 2015 is the best quarterback tape we had in this class. Right, like you you saw what he did stepping up as a 19 year old that year after being the third string quarterback in the spring and almost leading his team to the college football playoff win after win after win, big time throw after big time throw in a muddled pocket like. I don't know what else you wanted to see from a quarterback. And again, we only have one year of Mitchell Trubisky. Who knows what 2017 would have been in store for Mr. Trubisky at UNC. You mean 2018 Mitchell Trubisky without Bug Howard, without Mac Hollins, and without Ryan Switzer, yep. three of the top 32 wide receivers in this class? Yeah. If anyone was propped up by their supporting class in 2017's draft, it was Mitchell Trubisky. I'm sorry, Bears fans. You're fucked. <laughs> and, and okay, <clears throat> I like some things that Trubisky brings to the table, right? Because in that type of an offense, it is, and I don't think many people mention this, it basically is an air raid offense from many, for all intents and purposes, in many situations. Uh, yeah. How do they get all those receivers on the field? <laughs> right. Air raid! And, and so in those scenarios, I look for, okay, what does a quarterback do when he's forced to hold on to the football longer than he's expected to? Because we know in those situations, hey, the ball's out really quickly, right? Hey, if this guy's standing here, you throw it that way. But what happens when, you know, everything is covered, he has to hold on to the ball. And I thought Trubisky did well in comparison to many other quarterbacks coming out of that system in that area. So we'll see. I'm mean, again, I, I, I'm not hating Mitch Trubisky. In fact, I would say that the picks of Patrick Mahomes and Deshaun Watson, especially what the future um, draft capital they gave up for those spots as well, I'm more concerned about Watson and Mahomes flourishing than I am Mitch Trubisky. Which of the two are you most concerned about? Who has the higher bust potential? Is it Mahomes and his worst footwork of all time, or is it Deshaun Watson and his weakest throwing arm of all time? Uh, I, I would say it's equal because I think both have the potential same fatal flaw in that it's and it's not necessarily the, the 49 uh, arm strength. And I would say that that's a threshold. Right. And if that's a threshold, then you you can't draft Deshaun Watson. You shouldn't have drafted Deshaun Watson if, if you believe in that. I would have drafted Deshaun Watson in the fifth round or beyond if I were an NFL GM. And I'm not saying this Ooh. to be provocative. I'm saying it based on probabilities. If you're going to take shots on quarterbacks, that's the guy I would take a shot on. But his draft stock became a helium balloon because of the national championship and the Heisman Trophy and the buzz. And I, if I were an NFL general manager, that would be a player that I would not ever consider because the exposure bias is so great with some of these players, like we saw with Kelvin Benjamin a couple years ago, catches this touchdown in the national championship game. All of a sudden, he's a first-round pick. Get the hell out of here. I would say the fatal flaw that both share is just their reaction to disruption, their reaction to pressure. I'm not talking about pressure the situation. I'm talking about pressure in terms of defensive bodies 
shaping the pocket and forcing them to slightly move. Deshaun Watson in that situation has a playmaker mentality where he drops his eyes and gets frenetic in the pocket. Either he moves forward or out of the back. And yes, Russell Wilson has that. Tyrod at times has that. Um, Alex Smith at times has that. Cam Newton at times has that. But like you said, with picks three through 32 at quarterback, I can list off a hundred others that failed because of that single trait. Um, And then Patrick Mahomes, honestly, man, I have no idea how anyone is certain of their evaluation of him positively or negatively. There is just no comparison of success of his in the NFL. He really truly is to me Johnny Manziel plus in terms of his arm. But I just don't know how you think that that style can succeed at the NFL level because to me, we just haven't seen it. And I can be totally off here and I, I will acknowledge it if I am because Again, Mahomes is a completely unique prospect. Very unique. Yeah, he could be Johnny Manziel. He could be Brett Favre. We don't know. His range of outcomes is all quarterbacks ever. Right. <laughs> Basically, failed or successful. Like, we we have and, – and so I just don't know how a team can trade up to what? Number 10, 12, what, 12 was it? And, and be able to do that and be able to harness and think that, okay, I can shape him. I don't know if you can shape Patrick Mahomes. You have to work around and with Patrick Mahomes, who he already is, this feeling that I can coach it out of him. I think that too often coaches think they can change a player. Instead, like strengths become stronger. Weaknesses rarely, rarely, rarely turn into strengths. And for Patrick Mahomes, the subtlety of playing the quarterback position in confined space, that is a weakness right now. It is not a strength. That's a great point. Now, I want to talk about a couple running backs because we do a fantasy show, and we haven't talked about running back at all. So let's talk about running backs briefly. Late rounders, though. How the hell does Jeremy McNichols and Aaron Jones fall to the fifth round? How? 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 (laughs) How? Because they're role players, or they're viewed as role players. Get out of here. No, I, I, I truly think that that's how the NFL views them, is as role players. And we know with McNichols, his role will be perceived as a receiving back. And I would probably say the same thing with Aaron Jones as well, especially after what the same team drafted uh, Jamal Williams, who is not a role player. He profiles as a lesser athlete or a poor athlete as a primary back, right? That's his style. Um, I mean, I, I'm, I'm going to throw in Elijah McGuire's name in here as well. I think Elijah McGuire, I love Elijah McGuire. I I think he might be the steal of the draft at the running back spot if we're talking rounds five, round six, round seven. But he's stuck behind one of my favorite backs in the league in Bilal Powell. So It's funny because he is very much like Bilal Powell. In this draft class, he was discount Alvin Kamara. Why are you drafting Alvin Kamara in the second or third round when you can have an Elijah McGuire at the end of the draft this is why drafting a running back in the first two rounds is insanity given the value proposition the differential between Leonard Fournette and running backs you can draft in other rounds is not very wide it's a small differential why would you draft a running back in the top 10 it it makes no sense based on value you have to go many rounds deep into the draft before you start finding running backs that I would consider value based on draft capital relative to the other running backs that were in the class because this was a deep class and you could get McNichols and Marlon Mack 
and Aaron Jones in the fourth, fifth, sixth, and seventh rounds. Do you like Marlon Mack at least? I mean, you're not a fan of McNichols and Aaron Jones, understandable. Well, I, 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 I Marlon am. Mack, do you like any of these late round running backs besides Elijah McGuire? Elijah McGuire. <laughs> I'm trying to temper my expectations on them, okay? I think Aaron Jones landed in just about the best spot he could. I mean, amazing. Right, and in many situations from rounds two through seven, all we're hoping for is a good landing spot, right? Yeah. And and for Aaron Jones, that is absolutely the case. Do I like anyone? I don't like Brian Hill. I, I like more. Look, what what you're looking for out of a Marlon Mack and an Aaron Jones and possibly even a Jeremy McNichols is a big play. And I'm all about big plays. Yeah. And so they're absolutely yeah. worth it. Big plays. Right. Yeah. So to me, like James Conner in round three, like what big play are you getting? A three-yard run to convert a third and two? I like James Conner fine. I don't like James Conner in the third round. <laughs> what? Donnell Pumphrey? Donnell Pumphrey in round four? Like I understand he's the same size as Darren Sproles. I'm bigger than Donnell Pumphrey. <laughs> but but you also look at his athleticism in comparison to Darren Sproles, and I believe that Donnell Pumphrey tests in like what the 17th percentile, something like that. Do you remember when they were comparing Brandon Oliver to Darren Sproles? Right, right. Same principle applies. Let me make the case though for for Christian McCaffrey in the top ten. Oh oh yes, I'm all ears here because this is a team. That if we're talking about how this offense is going to look in 2017, it was completely stagnant with the offensive players already on the roster. Okay, so to me, having a foundation piece, which they view Christian McCaffrey, can propel this offense forward for the next four to five years. And the type of prospect that there wasn't out there in free agency and wasn't out there in the draft, in my opinion, and I know some believe Curtis Samuel could do the same thing, but... Again, this is pushing the offense in a totally new direction that they had no one and added no one on skill at the skill position spots. So to me, the number eight pick on Christian McCaffrey makes a ton of sense because for them, he can work inside the tackles as a regular runner, but also offers this wide set and wide skill set that I, I, I don't think that it's typically found as a combination of the two it, between the tackles runner and also winning out in space as an air back as well. Okay, that's fair. If you consider Christian McCaffrey a running back slash receiver, yep. a running back plus, it changes the entire value equation. It skews all the math. Let's look beyond the running back position, though. I mean, give us one late round guy, either on offense or defense, yeah. that you think will be a major NFL playmaker. Okay, I don't know about major NFL playmaker, and this is... Just that he's going to be an impact guy. And this is not backed up by really anything. Like, he has no size. Oh, I love this. Oh, I want to hear I'm this. not even sure by his athleticism, all right? Yeah. But if I have to take a leap of faith on someone in this draft, it is Trent Taylor, the diminutive five-foot, what, eight wide receiver who landed with the 49ers. I, I could see him being their slot receiver for many, many years to come. And an offense that lacks pretty much any talent at the wide receiver position that lacks quarterback play at the moment. I wouldn't be surprised if Trent Taylor earns that starting gig early. Anytime I watch Carlos Henderson, I know you watched him too, because yeah, because you're like, who's this Trent Taylor guy? Oh my gosh. And he was making play after play near the line of scrimmage, further away from the line of scrimmage. Yeah. And again, the world is against him. 
God is against him because he's five foot seven and trying to play football. But I'm in his corner because I think he can absolutely make it just for the way he plays the game. And I'm not even sure about anything else. Yeah, we, we saw Eli Rogers become a fantasy asset last year. If Eli Rogers can become a fantasy asset, then Trent Taylor can become a fantasy asset. And they are another franchise that is building in the right way. Now, unlike the Cleveland Browns, the San Francisco 49ers are a couple years away, but they've started the process. They've clearly articulated a strategy internally, and they're following through with discipline. They're not making short-sighted decisions any longer. In a couple years, the San Francisco 49ers are going to be good. It's clear from where we sit, people that know things, John Norris and Matt Kelly. <laughs> John Norris, you hear that? Yes, I got it. I was, You know, it's right. It's correct. <laughs> And 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 in terms of birth certificate, if you get my middle name correct, then I'll, I'll be very impressed. You've done your research. MTV's John Norris. When I had Evan <laughs> Silva on the show, I kept calling you John Norris. It's just I have some of these weird misnaming that I do, and usually it's some person from the '90s. Yes. I will conflate the names. I don't know why I do that. It's a glitch in the Matt Kelly wiring. I can't explain it. The only one. Yeah, well, yeah, well, a lot of glitches, yes. Uh, constantly in for repair. But the 49ers are going to be good. They also signed somehow, some way, Katie Cannon, who went undrafted. How does both Katie Cannon and Ishmael Zamora go undrafted? How? How? It, it, it's a good question. Um, How? I think in Zamora's case, we kind of get it. Okay. Because of oh, we get it. Okay. The non-combine invite, right? Right, we get sure. That. Yeah. Uh, off the field issues. We can judge character. We did an interview with him. Clearly bad guy. Okay. Right. Not not me because I, I don't know him, but I'm just saying from their perspective, I think we understand why that might have happened. We only want kind-hearted individuals to play our gladiator spectacle. And Katie Cannon's spot or place like i don't even know some of these receivers that were selected yeah. like i don't know who david moore is with the seahawks who? who is it but we saw players with i would say would fill his similar role go a lot later than we expected okay malachi dupree for example with lsu um a vertical receiver um d'angelo yancey a vertical receiver robert davis a vertical receiver um i like yancey by the way oh that's my guy that's my guy. That's your guy? Yeah, I like Yancey a lot, man. Oh, wow. So Yancey and Katie Cannon are interesting because they check a very important box for wide receivers, the most predictive box, breakout age. Mm. Yancey and Katie Cannon were on the field and productive at very early ages, both age 18. And with Yancey going so late and Katie Cannon going undrafted, it's official that no NFL team understands or leverages the breakout age metric to their detriment. I would say that they have the non-combine, well, Yancey does, and Chad Williams, the third round pick does, non-combine invite at the, run, at the wide receiver spot, which we just haven't seen really be successful frequently in the NFL. So that that's working against them. Um, but with Katie Cannon, he went to the combine. What the hell happened? I, I would say his entire game is built off the vertical element. So running in a straight line. And then after that, it's breaking routes off and um, trying to create separation based on that vertical element. Uh, I would just say that, you know, teams might not have wanted to work with that. Like we saw Shelton Gibson go in round five. That's a very similar player. Rodney Adams out of USF, similar player. Again, I wouldn't be surprised if Katie Cannon got draftable grades from some teams. 
but sometimes draft board grades just go to UDFAs. But again, what we talk about landing spot, this is a pretty good landing spot. It is. In terms of no top-end talent or even depth at that position with the San Francisco 49ers. This is why you want to be an undrafted free agent. If the seventh round starts and my name is still on the board, I do not want to be picked. I mean, you can get lucky and be Chad Kelly and go to a place that doesn't have a quarterback. That's fortunate. But oftentimes you get drafted to a depth chart that is setting you up for failure. So I want to be undrafted and be able to pick my landing spot. I was talking to Tony Saragusa about this. He said the best thing that happened to me was I went undrafted and I got to pick my team. I looked at the different depth charts and I saw the Colts depth chart and thought, oh my God, their defensive tackles are horrendous. I'm going to sign with the Colts. Yeah. And he got an opportunity. So that's what happens to some of these guys. They go to the right spot because they're able to pick their spots. So Katie Cannon's agent is doing a good job. I have one on the defense side of the ball, and that's Xavier Woods, the safety out of Louisiana Tech going to the Cowboys. Um, I love Xavier Woods in this class, and I think the fit is is perfect. But it kind of ties into your story a little bit because I think he was expecting to go round four, round five. And so once the sixth round hits, he starts – Going through, and he and his agent start going through, okay, these teams' depth charts, the teams are lacking at the safety spot. We don't want to go to X and Y because, you know, they already have three deep at safety and they've already drafted someone in this group. And they pigeonholed and pegged the the Cowboys as the possible fit that they wanted. And they take them in round six. They even trade up for them. So um, I, I wouldn't be surprised. Last year we saw Anthony Brown, their six-round pick, as a corner start. I, I think Xavier Woods starts at some point this year for the for the Cowboys, um, obviously, if he's healthy. I love this Roto Underworld Radio deep safety talk. There we go. It's a new era. Who would have thought <laughs> six months ago we're in deep safety talk? <laughs> sorry, I'm not sorry. I'm enjoying this. And I'll get you out of here with this one last question. We talked about Taewon Taylor. He was drafted too late. NFL, you're sleeping on Taewon Taylor. You fucked up not drafting Taewon Taylor earlier. Tennessee Titans were the big winner. Tennessee Titans had a top five draft among all teams. You would agree with that, right? Yeah. Easily. Taewon Taylor and Chris Godwin were both drafted after Cooper Cup from Eastern Washington. Now, you were at the Senior Bowl, correct? Yeah, and I, I know where you're going with this. How does this happen? Just explain this to me. The Senior Bowl, from now on, I want everyone to realize that the opinions that you're taking from the Senior Bowl are one person's opinions. And when, I mean, these evaluators go into that event with an already preconceived notion of who this player is and who they want him to be. There's bias that is involved in this entire process. Cooper Cup did nothing more than what he showed at Eastern Washington at the Senior Bowl. Yet everyone loved him, right? Right. I did not love Cooper Cup prior to that. I thought he was a manufactured space player, a manufactured touch player. I thought that he he was a everything that you think of a slot receiver. That's who he was. Yes, slot receiver. Very good slot receiver. He is. He cannot play. He got dog walked by corners at his level of football on the outside. And sure, you can look at the Washington games. You can look at all that stuff. He's not an outside receiver. He's a slot receiver. And then he goes to the senior bowl and does exactly the same thing, right? Like pushing off to create a little bit of separation, the catch point. That's what he does fine, right? That's what he does. If you get him the ball near the line of scrimmage with space created, a manufactured touch, 
He can win after the catch as well. But it's not like then he went to the combine and tested like Zay Jones, who's also a slot receiver, right? Yeah, another manufactured gimmick slot receiver. But at least Zay Jones now has a higher ceiling because he tested very well, showed a great catch radius, upper percentile, across the board, burst, agility. He's someone you can legitimately get excited about. I can't get excited about one-dimensional slot receiver, Cooper Cup, now landing on the Rams. To me, this was justice. Cooper Cup landing on the Rams. And and I guess he wants to make him his Jamison Crowder, is what the guess is. And when, and when you consider that, Jamison Crowder had a great senior bowl. Jamison Crowder uh, was a leap of faith in many ways. So maybe the connection makes sense. But with Cooper Cup at the Senior Bowl, again, keep in mind that just saying, well, he had a great Senior Bowl week. And I'm not saying, well, you have to be there to have that opinion. I don't think in many ways you can take everyone's opinion of what happens at an event like that. I think you have to locate the two to three evaluators that you trust most and figure out what they are saying, right? right. We can't just say, because if, if seven of 10 people say that Cooper Cup had a great Senior Bowl, Maybe the three are the ones that are correct. I, and again, I think he was two years older than a lot of people he was going up against at the Senior Bowl, and that <laughs> matters. I mean, that's that's a time, a rare time, when prospects are on the field on an even playing field. And we know being two years the senior of many of those players matters in that type of scenario. And they're all seniors. Right. It's called the Senior Bowl. They're all, they're all seniors. Chris Godwin didn't get invited. He's coming out as a junior because he's that good. The players that are that good to come out as juniors aren't going to the Senior Bowl. So it's a bunch of guys that aren't as good as a bunch of juniors who are saying, fuck being a senior. I'm out of here, guys. NFL, here I come. And yet Chris Godwin goes after Cooper Cup. That was a crime. Absolute crime. And But I think Chris Godwin's landing spot is great. Oh, could you think? <laughs> For how, how the Buccaneers play play the game and how Jameis plays the game oh in terms of, sure, when someone's creating separation, he can throw it to you, but he'll also heave the ball with his eyes closed and try to let you win those contested situations like he does with Mike Williams. Hey, guess who's the best in this class according to Matt Harmon's charting of the last two years at contested situations? It's Chris Godwin. <laughs> What a great show that was. Oh, my God. Well, the reason why I say it's such a great show is because I had like four or five aha moments where either you turned a phrase that I thought was just perfectly said or I was like, oh, that's the answer because I've had legitimate questions. This was my luxury pick. You coming on the show was a luxury pick for me. (laughs) I'm, I'm your Jabril Peppers. You're my Jabril Peppers and you're very versatile. Jacksonville didn't throw one dart at a quarterback, and all they have is Blake Bortles. What are you doing? Fucking Patriots, man. It's crazy. It's crazy. No, 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 no. This is going to happen quickly for the Browns, everyone. Just so you know, they're ready to start popping now. They're ready to start winning games now. I let out a little celebration when the Panthers picked Christian McCaffrey. So I accidentally kicked my computer and it shut off. So that stream went down. But other than that, it was good. 
because everybody loves Jamal Adams. So much leadership, so consistent. It's crazy. It's crazy. Well, he could have done what Malik Hooker did if they asked him to do that at LSU. Bullshit! (laughs) John Norris and Matt Kelly... How the hell does Marshawn Lattimore make it out of the top 10? And how the fuck can you not draft Kevin King, a full-blown velociraptor in the secondary, outside the first round? How? He has the best catch radius in the database. He has the best agility score in the database. Now think about a guy with a 1045 agility score at 6'3". I've never seen I don't know what it looks like. I've never seen that, and he's going outside the top 32. Okay, NFL. Okay. No, no, no. no, no. You guys know what you're doing. I'm sure. Yeah, we just player profile or analytics. No, just now. <laughs> I'm wired and tired. Really wired, really tired, and it's 1230 at night. I like Yancey, by the way. Oh, that's my guy. That's my guy. And this is not backed up by really anything. NFL, you're sleeping on Taewon Taylor. You fucked up not drafting Taewon Taylor earlier. Oh, that's my guy. That's my guy. And this is not backed up by really anything. It's a great story. Yes. Who doesn't love someone beating cancer, for Christ's sake? Uh, yeah. How do they get all those receivers on the field? <laughs> Air raid! Well, I, 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 I am Donnell Pumphrey in round four. Like, I understand he's the same size as Darren Sproles. I'm bigger than Donnell Pumphrey. And this is not backed up by really anything. I remember talking to the, the doctor that delivered Samaj Piran. And he said, when Samaj Piran was born, I looked at him and I said, this is a goal line back in the NFL. Okay, this is a fake story. And this is not backed up by really anything okay this is a fake story yeah yeah welcome to roto underworld radio josh norris could you argue the patriots won this draft yeah i was team rick spielman when they drafted jarek mckinnon it looked like they were starting to look at the right things focus on the metrics that matter that are predictive and then last year they went out and drafted laquan treadwell in the first round and i just threw my papers in the air yeah, I'm quite simple if, if I really think about it. My bold prediction is that every single Alabama defensive prospect in this draft will bust. And they said, that's too hot. Is that too hot? Okay, this is a fake story. No, 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 it's not at all. It's not at all. But, you know, it sounds good when I say it. We're talking about Jeremy McNichols, and then that was the loudest the train was. The train horn... <laughs> blue as you were talking about jeremy mcnichols that was just perfect they are trying to replicate exactly what the cowboys did a year before them but are not going to succeed because leonard fournette is such a worse talent than ezekiel Elliott. yes this is like coming to america the dallas cowboys are mcdonald's and the jacksonville jaguars are mcdowell's okay this is a fake story and so a second round pick is nothing for a quarterback it's nothing I patted myself on the back and I said to myself under my breath, you know what you're doing. You're doing a good job. It's okay, Matt. It's okay. You got this. You got this. You're good at this. You're good. You're good. You're going to be all right. You're going to be just fine. 
this is going to work out. That was the effect of the Marlon Humphrey draft pick. Okay, this is a fake story. I will conflate the names. I don't know why I do that. It's a glitch in the Matt Kelly wiring. I can't explain it. The only one. Yeah, well, well, a lot of glitches, yes. Uh, Constantly in for repair. Yeah. NFL, you're sleeping on Taewon Taylor. You fucked up not drafting Taewon Taylor earlier. Oh, that's my guy. We call that the nebulous profile. I'm vomiting right now. My favorite draft analyst is Matt Kelly. Oh, that's my guy. Chris Godwin. Oh, that's my guy. He is. He cannot play. He got dog walked by corners at his level of football on the outside. (laughs) Okay, this is a fake story.